0: Today's podcast has a little bit of an explicit warning. If you're driving with little ears in the car, there might be a few choice words throughout this podcast you might not want them to hear. So just keep that in mind when you're playing this episode. Today on the podcast, we're talking how to be a little less shit on camera. If you're like most people, you probably don't have any big issues holding a conversation with another person. But if that other person's holding up a camera to your face, then maybe it's not so easy. With the rise in AI platforms transforming the way that we deliver written messaging, I believe that video is how we build trust, increase visibility and connect in a way that is truly human. But if we're gonna do that, we've gotta learn how to get better at how we show up on camera. And here to talk about that is my good friend Cam Fink. It live i'll write it and we'll do it live 10 9 8 7 6 5 4 3 2 1 lift off here's the thing if a bunch of people are happy together cam wants to be there if they're talking about interesting things and getting excited even better If they need help being happy and excited, Cam would definitely like to be there. He is that kind of person that brings energy and excitement to the room. But beyond all of that, he likes helping people bring out their best selves on camera, and he's really good at it. I was fortunate enough to be in Cam's course, Be Less Shit on Camera, and it was so helpful for me to be able to show up more authentically online and on camera. He draws on experience from decades of being behind the camera and a pandemic being in front of it, and he knows exactly how to bring out your best when showing up on video. Cam Fink, this is a delight to have you on phone calls with clever people. Thanks for joining me. Absolutely. Pleasure to be here, Shane. Cam, um, you are one of those people who are ridiculously talented in a whole lot of areas. And today we're going to have a conversation about how to be a little less shit on camera. Um, before we jump into that, three quick fast facts for you. Where were you born? What was your first job? And then what do you do now? I was born in Melbourne, Melbourne, Australia. First
1: job was I was a font developer and developers too generous a word for what I did. I tweaked the edges of letters on fonts in the very early days of when you could use custom fonts. That was my first job. I had that at high school. Interesting. And what do you do now? Uh, Now I help people mainly present themselves as best they can. So speakers who want to present a showcase reel, people who want to make videos for their websites, content, that kind of thing. I produce content for people and I help people produce their own content.
0: Uh, I I feel like, um, there is this syndrome that people get and it is a bit of a red light syndrome, which is I can be one of the most confident presenters in the world. And then it's like a red light on a camera goes on and a piece of glass pops up into my face and I become a different human being. It's like, I turn into a robot. I forget what to say. I stumble over my words. Is this a, is this a normal thing or is this just a me thing?
1: (laughs) You don't need me to answer that. Everybody knows how common that feeling is. When the camera gets turned on, you absolutely do not become yourself. You become this weird parody of yourself. And to some extent, that's even happened this morning. Before you hit record on this, we were chatting in a conversational way. When the record <laughs> button gets hit, we are presenting now. This is our presenter voice. Listen to me, I am serious. I'm yeah. imagining an audience that I'm staring down a camera. And one of the things that's hardest to do is get out of that into conversational voice. And my brother, Colfink, who is an expert presenter, he is my sibling and therefore able to give me criticism quite freely, which, which I appreciate. And he often says to me, H- who's who's that talking now, Cam? Where is the real Cam? And so everybody has that problem. It doesn't matter what level you're at.
0: How it's a sibling uh, calling
1: you out on some things? <laughs> siblings have a freedom to be forgiven quickly. So <laughs> they're able to tell you how it is. But Cole is an absolute expert in this area. And I remember very clearly the day he told me that there are two voices you have one is the presenter voice and one is the conversation voice and your job as a presenter is to ditch the presenter voice and get back to your conversation voice as soon as possible
0: is that because um I mean obviously naturally people will connect more with our conversation voice um is it is it about authenticity I mean what's it about I mean because I mean most people I here have a presenter voice um why do we need to ditch it it's very hard to connect to a presenter voice. It doesn't mm. feel like someone
1: you can trust. It doesn't feel like someone who's being themselves. It doesn't feel like someone who you want to be in a conversation with. Someone yeah, who's a brilliant presenter, I think, is someone who can make you feel like you're just having a conversation with them. can make you feel like they're chatting to you like they would be chatting to their mate, having a coffee or at the pub or whatever. And the faster you can ditch a presenter voice, the sooner you can make a proper connection with someone.
0: Yeah, uh, look at that that hurts even to hear cuz what people <laughs> may not know is that uh we we spent um last week we spent an afternoon together uh wandering around the streets of Melbourne trying to capture some footage of me speaking to a camera for my speaker showreel. And so I, I, I would say I'm, I'm a professional speaker and I, it hurts me to say that I'm a professional speaker because everything about last Tuesday made me believe that I was an incompetent speaker because <laughs> I, <laughs> I stand in front well, of audiences all over the world and speak and then I've put, you put me in front of a camera and the amount of times that I s- struggled to get out a clear sentence was like, it, it felt so bizarre.
1: The difficulty I think most people have is that they expect speaking to a camera to be similar to speaking to a person, speaking to a room or being something that they should automatically be good at. And if you're a human, you spend tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of hours speaking to people, speaking to human faces. If you're a professional speaker like you, you've probably spent hundreds of hours on stage and hundreds of hours is enough to be quite good at something. You could Malcolm Gladwell it to 10,000 hours if you want to be elite. But anything that you're good at, you've probably spent hundreds of hours doing. You wouldn't expect to pick up a guitar for the first time and be able to play it well. You wouldn't Mm. expect to be an expert public speaking for the first time. Like the first time you get on stage you are definitely shitting yourself, as you should be, because you're terrified. And yet people think that being able to speak to camera quickly and easily should come to them automatically and are baffled when it doesn't. But it's not because you can't do it. It's because you haven't done the practice.
0: Well, I remember um, I was in one of the first programs that you ran um, about being less shit on camera, which was a very apt name of a program. And you used this metaphor, which I has always stuck with me and I love. And you said... It's like you pick up a guitar and you you learn to play the guitar and you're playing a right-handed guitar and then you get really good at it and then someone hands you a left-handed guitar. And so much of the theory and the the framework and the understanding is the same, but you're essentially having to learn a new skill in a new way. And so I would say you said it's kind of like you can do public speaking, get really, really good at it, but then you're handed a camera and it's like picking up a left-handed guitar. I felt like that was a really good description of it.
1: The specificity of skill is something that often trips people up. You think, because mm. I'm half good at something similar, I should be good at this thing. Mm. Uh, the left-handed, right-handed guitar thing I just find fascinating, and any guitar player out there will know that you can know exactly how to play a left-handed guitar, but you can't. Yeah. <laughs> you just you cannot do it. You haven't got the muscle memory. And I think the same thing exists with a whole heap of skills. When you're standing on stage trying to speak to an audience, you've got to get your body physically ready and physically, physiologically prepared for the feeling of standing on stage and knowing your content is very, very different than being comfortable standing on stage. And I don't think it's any different being on camera. People get on camera, they know what they want to say, but their bodies are are panicking. Their bodies don't know what to do. It's an unfamiliar environment. And it's not, it's not the same as getting stage fright in the sense that, being on a stage in front of an audience is terrifying in a, I might be eaten by a lion kind of way. (laughs) Whereas being on camera is just embarrassingly clunky. Like you might be safe, you're in your home office maybe, but Mm. the feeling is still so weird. Your body goes into this physiological state, which means you're totally unable to
0: access your skill. Mm. I want to ask some more questions and get some understanding of like, what is going on in our head when we start like when that camera gets in front of us and we start to you know lose our sentences we start to freak out we start to feel embarrassed i want to know i want to dig a bit deeper as to what's going on in our head when that happens but like if we think about my experience last week it was so funny because i sit there and it's like you would put the camera down and you would go all right let's just have a conversation and we would start talking and be like yeah, Cam, you know, I, I think, you know, organizers that are pulling vents together, they really need to, the camera goes up. and I'm like, bleh, 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 uh, they're, they're just. They're, uh, I'm like, what well, is you, you're a classic example
1: of someone who absolutely has nailed the content. So one of the other confronting things when recording videos or getting on camera is that there's nowhere to hide from a content perspective. Mm. You can't fluff like you can in a room. You can't spend time engaging with body language with the same sort of latitude that you can in a physical environment. On video, you've got to get to the point immediately. And if you don't know your stuff, you can flounder. Mm. You're in a different category, which is you absolutely know your stuff and you're an expert speaker, but the environment of being on camera is less familiar to you. The environment of having deliver it to an invisible, unresponsive audience is not how you'd prefer to do it. Mm. And so your body has to learn a different way of delivering your content. And it's yeah. just unfamiliarity that stops you. It's not anything, people don't have quirks or talents in that way, I don't believe. You've just mm. practiced or you haven't.
0: Yeah. And I think it is one of the good things that um, I think I learned, even from last week and and having done, I mean, do, doing a lot on camera over the last few years, especially because of the pandemic and so much of our, our world is delivered online, is that it is a skill you can get better at. So I think one of the fears is to go, if this feels uncomfortable, this feels clunky, this feels awkward, you go, well, I could never be good at that. And the same way people would say to public speaking, they're like, oh, I'm never going to be a good public speaker. It's just not in my DNA. I'm like, ah, oh, I, I disagree. I'm like, you might not feel naturally confident on it. Very few people, people do, but you can invest in it like a skill set and a muscle to build. Um, I mean, let, let's look at the people who, who find themselves in that place where doing anything at all on camera just fills them with some dread. What do you think's going on in their mind? What's going through their head? When you're learning
1: a new skill, there's always the trajectory through the unconscious incompetence into the conscious incompetence. And that is mm. the terrible pit when you first start learning something new where there's, you've, you realize just how bad you are. Before, you were just as bad. You just didn't know. And getting on camera and being bad is really awful because it feels publicly humiliating there's a real exposure that comes with the first days of trying to get on camera that feels like a lot more is at stake than picking up knitting or trying new, trying a <laughs> new craft or learning a, a different, less exposing skill. And I think the difficulty is that pushing through feeling really unsafe is hard mm. and people would rather not risk it because it's so bad to start with. And that, I think, is the problem that makes this more difficult a skill to learn than some others i think the the thing you said before about Mm. getting on camera during the pandemic is interesting because everyone had to get on zoom but on zoom you've got an audience there's people there and honestly they're Mm. probably shit on camera too so it doesn't really matter you've got a zoom gallery of people (laughs) who are backlit (laughs) cameras up their noses there's low pressure and when you've got an audience responding to you in real time be it on camera or not that's a really different feeling than having to deliver your stuff without an audience where you're in charge of the cadence, the number of takes, the delivery. There's nothing for you to bounce off. It's just a black hole. Uh, that's hard. That's the unique skill you have to practice.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's one that isn't fun to start with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can definitely relate to that. That isn't fun part of the component of it. We were talking about it last week when we were walking between shoot locations. And I was saying the irony of all of this is that I'm, I have to... Um, develop and speak to a camera about and do essentially public speaking in a very public space to get more work doing more public speaking. (laughs) And I was (laughs) hating the experience of that. It was very, very kind of ironic, everything that was taking place. But I think one thing that you, you were really, really good at is being able to, um, begin a conversation off camera that kind of brought me out of that presenter voice back into that conversation voice And then go, let's just try that again and feel less scripted. Let's do that again and feel less, um, you know, presenter voice. And it was like, it was chalk and cheese, like one time round versus second time round. A lot of that came back to when you've got someone there who can help catch certain things, um, they see something that you can't see yourself. So like I, I film video content almost every day for LinkedIn and for all kinds of social media, but it's so short and it's so sharp, but I miss so much because it's just me sitting in a room alone. But having someone there that can catch some of those things actually goes a long way in helping you just to kind of step out of that space, doesn't it? Absolutely.
1: There's an exercise we do early on in the Bela Shit course, which is the human tripod, which is you get someone to hold the camera for you, and them standing behind the camera will help you get over a bunch of the common problems that you get when you're trying to record to a camera on your own. Having someone else in the room Mm. who knows you, even just them standing there, they don't even have to say anything. But if they're behind the camera, you're less likely to lapse into those self-conscious, awkward, presenter voice behaviors if there's someone Mm. you know and trust in the room. And it's a really useful way to bypass some of those early mistakes. So if if anyone's out there who's spent two hours trying to record themselves in their office, on their home setup, and just found it infuriating and awful. Try getting someone you love to just sit on the other side of the camera and just break that <laughs> tension and give you this the human connection you need to escape that awful, stilted feeling that comes with your early
0: days on camera, which are awful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which which I would say works you know, nine out of 10 times. And then uh, and I don't know if we, we won't use their names, but I remember someone who was in the program with us sharing a behind the scenes footage of the human tripod. <laughs> and um, it was a moment on the beach and we saw the end product, which was this beautiful, serene video. And then they were vulnerable <laughs> enough to share the behind the scenes footage. Of them going like, just film it. Just just film it. Hold it straight. Just film film it. I don't want to do do this. Just like a perfect (laughs) relationship, uh, (laughs) safe bickering. Let's call it. Yeah. So one of the things that um, with that, like, I find. Like we're 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 most of the time it's going to work when we've got that human face because it immediately pulls us out of that presenter into that conversational voice with the person, as opposed to, I think you just said it before, like staring down to the black hole of the camera lens and kind of getting lost in that, feeling like you're not getting that response, right?
1: I don't think it's automatic. I don't think you snap out of it. I think adding a person to the room isn't a panacea that's just going to fix any problem. It's Mm. still up to you. And I remember early days when I first started getting on camera, I would lapse into presenter voice really frequently. And this is during lockdown when my partner, Alicia, expert facilitator, guru presenter, her being in the room was enough to just remind me. And like in any relationship, you can have really subtle signals that you give to each other. And she, I can't even remember what the signal was now, but all I would know is that I would be aware that she was telling me <laughs> just with her face <laughs> or judgment. or, <laughs> <laughs> And, and, and now, now when I'm doing content, when I'm, recording videos, I still do the same thing. I go through the same process. If I'm about to hit record, I actually talk out loud to myself and just say, hey, Cam, are you speaking in your presenter voice? And I can tell the difference mm. even in this recording now. At times I've been quite mm. presenty and other times I can feel that I'm back to conversational. And if you're listening, yep. you probably notice that too, whether conscious or unconscious, you will feel the difference between someone who's delivering a scripted idea or performing like they're on a stage, whereas if they're just chatting comfortably, and confidently the way they would if you were meeting in the street or a park or a bar.
0: All right, so let's let's give people some really practical things. Like, let's talk about the mindset first because it's a huge part of how you show up on camera. Some of the things that people can really practically do to get in the right headspace just to get past that initial discomfort of the fact that you've got a camera lens sitting in front of your face? What are some of the things people can do mindset-wise? The first thing that happens is you have to identify the
1: parts of yourself that you find weird. So when you record your first video <laughs> and look back at it, you will notice things like, oh, my eye doesn't open properly, so my left eye isn't as, doesn't open as wide as my right eye. I've got a pointy left ear. And when I smile, my teeth do this weird thing. And whenever I see a video of myself, I notice those things and I find them a bit uncomfortable. And everybody listening will have something like that that they know without even having to look. The thing you feel self-conscious and awkward about, that when you see a recording of yourself, you cringe and hide a little bit. Well, guess what? That's what you look like. Like, that's what you look and sound like. (laughs) Everyone who knows and loves you either hasn't noticed or doesn't care about those things. And they will hold you back. They absolutely do. And so the first thing you have to do is know what they are and decide not to care. Now, there's, Mm. we could talk for another hour just about that. That's gendered, that has a whole bunch of other sensitivities and securities. We're talking self esteem stuff. All of that really matters. But if you're self conscious about how you look and sound, that's the first hurdle that's going to mean you're never going to like what you make. There's a decision that you have to make
0: that you're going to just show up as yourself? Oh, that is, I, I, there's a phrase that you use in that, that I want to have stuck on a sticky note on my camera lens, which is the people who know and love you either haven't noticed or don't care. Cause I think that is something that sits in your mind. It's like, Oh gosh, if I show up on camera and I do this or this, or I look like this or this, then people are going to think I'm weird because of that and that. And like, Well, they either think you, they already do think you're weird because of that, and they love you still despite your weirdness, or they've never even noticed. And you're the only person who, once you point it out, you know, you're the only person who is really aware of that. I just really love that mindset going into it. Yeah. And it's not necessarily easy to make that decision, but it's a critical one.
1: And for some people, it's a bigger deal than others. And I'm not here to in any way undervalue, I'm not Mm. here to say get over it, stupid. Like that's not a practical mindset at all. And if you've got a legitimate, something you're self-concerned about, that could be completely genuine and I'm not trying to make light of it, but I do know that overcoming the fear of what you look and sound like or the quirks that you find hard to Mm. share is a critical part of showing up. And until you reach peace with that, it's going to be very hard to show up on camera in a way that anyone can connect with and uh, another thing i remember is our our friend pete cook talking about how he was always meticulously trying to shave his sideburns to the same height and frequently (laughs) ended up not having sideburns at all because he'd be shaving one side realized the other one was a bit longer (laughs) shave that one up and eventually his sideburns were gone and then after he'd done it a few times he started he realized that he hadn't looked at anyone else's sideburns. He wasn't noticing other people's sideburns being uneven, not because they weren't, but because who gives a shit about other people's sideburns? Like it's just not something that you care about in others and yet we show up with self-consciousness about it ourselves. And so helping to shift your mindset away from what am I nervous about compared to what does the audience care about is the single biggest shift that's going to make a difference. And showing up in service implicitly requires mm. you not caring about the things that you find weird about yourself and instead shifting
0: your focus to what's the experience of the person watching or listening to me? I like that. The, the focus shift from what am I nervous about and what does the audience care about, because they're often very rarely aligned, those two things. Um, I, I When I talk to people who are in that public speaking space, I always ask them, w- when when was the last time, like think about the last time you saw someone who really stuffed it, like in your, in your, from your perspective, when it comes to standing in public, they really, really blew it. It could have been that they, you know, got so nervous they passed out on stage or, you know, like the absolute worst case scenario. Right. And I say on a, on a daily basis, like when was the last time you thought about that person? And, in your lifetime, how many times have you actually thought about it? My guess is you only think about that person when someone goes, Have you ever got a horror story? Or if someone goes, You ever, you know, um, this, this, or this, and I reckon you could count on one hand it's the number of times you actually thought about that person on a daily basis. But when you're in front of the camera, you think, If I stuff this up, people are gonna talk about this every single day of my life for the rest of my life, and I'm <laughs> never gonna outlive this. This is gonna be the most humiliating moment in my life. And nine times out of ten, they just don't care.
1: No, the brilliant thing about algorithms on news feeds is if you make shit content, no one will see it. And so at the start, when when you're starting out and you know you're not very good, it's really hard to want to post it. Like, you know objectively that you're not good yet, and that is totally fine. And hopefully you've also realized that it is an absolutely unavoidable part of the process of getting good that you have to post it. Half of the skill of creating content is the posting. And the beauty when you start out is that no one's watching. (laughs) So if you're posting content that isn't amazing and you're only getting five likes, well, on one hand you could say, "Well, that's disappointing. I'm only getting five likes. But on the positive side of things, you can say, well, that's good. Not many people saw it. And so the process of getting good, you are doing quite safely. And unless you... There's a tipping point where if you fuck up so badly and go viral that everyone will see it, but that's a one <laughs> yeah. chance in 100,000. Like, that will not happen. What will happen mm. is you get to practice in front of a small audience because you haven't built up enough of a following that people are sharing or liking your content enough that it gets fed to a lot of people. And so there's this a yeah. brilliant strategy early days when you're learning a new skill or if you have an account that you're just getting established is that if you post every day for 30 days, you will get 80% as good as you're going to get in the first year and you Mm. do it in the safety of relative anonymity. You'll do it in front of the people who know and love you, who can point out supportingly what you're doing well. You can feel safer. While you're building the audience is the time to be prolific. That is the time to go nuts creating content, practicing seeing what works, Mm. what doesn't, exposing yourself to that risk. Because that
0: 's the time when you 're least exposed I, I think it's brilliant. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine. We often will all bounce back ideas that we're going to post on social media together just because I mean we work in a solo business, and so it 's nice to have someone to just check some things from time to time and I remember I was going to post a video, and the video was a, is a bit of a, a parody, kind of a bit of a funny video and a joke and and I was a little bit concerned that the the parody might um be misinterpreted or misunderstood by someone and i remember going backwards and forwards for about i reckon three hours agonizing over the language for this post for this video and ended up going okay i think we finally nailed it got it ready posted it went to bed uh didn't think much of it end of the next day logged into my social media and it had like five views. (laughs) And I had spent like hours agonizing over this thing. And then other times I will post something. I remember my most viral video, my most engaged video was something that I flicked my camera on while I was sharpening a pencil and had this ridiculous idea while I was sharp. And it was a 26 second video about sharpening a pencil and it's had more engagement than ever before. And it was so, so confusing. So you're right. We do get hung up on what we think is going to perform well or You know, what we need to do. And and you said before, like, it's going to be a little bit shit at the start. I think if you're going to be less shit on camera, it's going to start with being more shit on camera. And it's just (laughs) being reconciled to that fact that that's okay.
1: We are not good judges of the value of our own ideas. And we're especially not Mm. good judges if we haven't had a lot of practice sharing them. And so when you're starting out, it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking you need to be brilliant, thinking you need to be sharing pearls of wisdom, when in fact, what people connect with often is just someone being human and themselves. But when you're starting out, yeah. that doesn't feel like a valuable thing to share. And it might not be. It might not be a valuable thing to share while you're learning. You've got to push through that hurdle. But your video with the pencil sharpening, which was when you sharpen a pencil, you don't add to it. You take something away. I remember that really clearly because it was a brilliant idea to live in succinctly. you remember that. <laughs> and that's... That's what people attach to. And if you say to someone starting out, you need to post a video every day for 30 days, they would think to themselves, I couldn't possibly have enough to say. I don't have enough ideas (laughs) to post a video every day because we think that we have to share brilliance. We think that what Mm. people want to consume is sound bites that are quote worthy or incredible milestones or moments of huge significance. And whilst that's true to some degree, you can't just post fluff, people actually just want to connect to a relatable human a lot of the time. And if you're economical with your time, if you post short content that's relatable and you're a likable person and you've practiced enough that you're not shit on camera, that's actually often what people need in a feed. It doesn't have to be amazing. It just has to be you.
0: Yes, yes, so true. All of this. One of of the things that for people who are listening, and and I'm aware that this demographic is very diverse that listen to this podcast, even people who are what I would consider a younger demographic still might not be on TikTok. And that's perfectly okay. It's not the most professional platform. It's not the place that you go to for your latest news. Although Gen Z definitely are going there more often. One of the things that is that we're learning about um, content through TikTok, because it is one of the fastest growing platforms by far, is that brands are jumping onto the platform and they're putting really high produced, high quality videos on the platform and they are failing miserably because people can't engage with it. And then what they're starting to do now is they're having brands represented by a face and that face is a typically a young person who is posting very, very rough video. It's not high quality um, and they're t- posting relational, everyday content, connecting at a human level and it's going absolutely nuts because every time you're scrolling and you see this high quality, high produced video, People are going, oh, it's another ad and they swipe past it and it is transforming how people want to engage with content online.
1: Absolutely. If you think someone's presenting you with curated information, you're much less likely to engage with it. If you think it's been edited to within Mm. an inch of its life or produced by a director or anything that doesn't feel real, if you're scrolling for, if you're doom scrolling for interest's sake, you're not going to be engaged by that content And I think for most Mm. people, like anyone listening to this podcast is probably maybe running their own small business or maybe working in a small team. And often you wouldn't even have the budget to do high quality production stuff, even if you wanted to, Mm. or if you could, it might not be appropriate. And I think the thing that's hard to get your head around, if you are looking to engage in this way, if you are looking to create feed content is that it has to be natural and feel spontaneous, but it still has to be half good. And like there's there's rough and there's rough. So your phone, like using the camera on your phone is perfectly acceptable, but you just have to know how to use it. And there's a distinction between rough and ready and lazy or overproduced, disrespectful of the audience. I always think if you're creating content, you should do as much work as you can so that the audience doesn't have to. That's up to you to make sure you're only posting the valuable words that you say. Cutting out a boring introduction, fluffing and introducing yourself, saying the same thing four times will absolutely turn an audience off immediately. Start with your point. Mm. End as soon as your point is finished. Don't waste the audience's time. If they have to filter through your fluff to get to your good stuff, they'll tune out. If you do the work of practicing your delivery so that you can present a good idea succinctly and hit stop, an audience will come
0: back. Yes, less fluff, more stuff. I like that. Even, even, even the, again. Like one of the things we forget is that um, what is driving a lot of our trend around video is not just whether or not we think it's good. There's a whole algorithm and platform which is driving what we believe to be engaging. And TikTok videos have like a one to two second swipe rate. If you're not engaging within one to two seconds, we were thinking it's like you've got 10 seconds, 15 seconds to engage. It's not like that anymore. It's literally seconds. So if you jump on the camera and go, Hey everyone, it's uh it's Shane here, even though you're the <laughs> account that posted it and your name is written on it. Either I like, already everyone know knows who you it's are you or I don't care. <laughs> it- exactly, exactly. <laughs> but one of the things here's one of the things that you're really good at, Kev, and, and I would say you're one of the best um, when it comes to engaging people in that very day to day life kind of thing by picking up your phone and grabbing it and saying hey I, you know i'm i'm on site with Shane and we're filming a show reel right now and this is what we're learning you're a master at that and it feels so everyday but most people will think to themselves i've got to have you know a production i've got to have a high quality camera i've got to have really good this this, this, and this and you're not a you, you are really really skilled in the tech area but that whenever someone comes to enter through that door, you're like, uh-uh, wrong door. We're not going there first. Let's go here first. Why is that something that's so passionate for you?
1: It's very hard to judge what other people are going to like through the lens of your own stuff. It's very, very mm. hard to see yourself as a stranger sees you and your first inclination is to think, I want to look and sound perfect. I want to look mm. professional. I want the lighting to be good. I want to come across as someone worthy of a high-quality production. That's the reputation we think we need to present to people in order to be credible. And we are wrong. Mm. (laughs) When you think (laughs) that you are just flat out wrong, that is not what people want. People like bloopers. They like real. They like feeling like they're peeking behind the curtain. They would much rather see a behind the scenes video than they would the actual production. And that might not be true if you have an actual production team. If you have professional camera operators and producers making your content, it's going to be amazing. But if you're trying to do it yourself, you're much better off not pretending to be something you're not. Pretending to be something Mm. you're not exposes you to looking amateurish. Whereas if you're Mm. happy to take an approach that's a little bit more casual or I'm just using my phone, you're not trying to be anything you're not. Now, that doesn't mean recording videos with your phone is easy because it's not. You have to practice. It requires its own set of skills and discipline but what it does is presents you as you are and it doesn't alienate an audience the way that overproduced or pre-scripted or Mm. poorly delivered content does the more you can bring people into your actual world the more engaging it is and i think there's a link between how long you spend preparing and how real it feels and if you've done the yes. pre-work so that you can capture an idea while it's happening in a way that looks good and sounds good and recorded on a phone, if you can do that in the moment, that will engage an audience in a way that corresponds to, oh, I fucked up that sentence, but you know what I mean. If If you can present your ideas without too much preparation, they come across with lightness and ease of Mm. access that overproduced content doesn't.
0: There was a a quote, and I can't remember who it was from. It might have been from Elaine de Baton. And he said, um, it was talking about moments, and he said, I I may have misquoted him, maybe someone else, but it was this idea that we used to use our cameras to capture moments. And now we create moments to capture with our cameras, <laughs> and it's a very, very distinct shift. Which is going, I've, I've got a video I need to produce, and therefore I'm going to go create a moment to try and record it, as opposed to I've got a moment and I'm inviting you in, and I'm have ca- just captured that moment. Oh, so I remember you, you had this moment. We were walking down the street. We were in between um, shots, and you were just capturing some of the discomfort about sitting in front of camera. And we were walking down the street. You had your hand out, your camera up, your iPhone camera, and you were just chatting. And we were talking through what we were experiencing, what we were feeling... And it just felt like we were inviting people into the moment that you and I were having as opposed to going, hey, we're going to create a video now and we're going to talk about, you know, the discomfort of being on camera. Because if you, the moment you'd said that, I would have gone, okay, well, what am I going to say? I'm going to prepare my kind of like one line, my statement. But I didn't have time for that. You were like, oh, here we go. And you just record. I was like, oh my gosh. And so you're kind of inviting people into that moment, which I feel is really, really, really enjoyable and much more engaging for people who are watching.
1: What are the easy things you can do? If you're watching this and thinking, yeah, how do I do that well? One of the best things you can do is stop trying to record in your home office. If you're trying mm-hmm. to record in your home office, that's an environment that is unlikely to bring out your best and it puts you fairly and squarely under the, the conditions that are likely to make you stammer and stutter, take 14 takes to do something that you end up not even liking. A better approach when you're starting out and you're feeling a bit stuck and you, you haven't got that natural delivery is go record outside get your phone and just Mm -hmm. go record yourself outside. A phone that you're carrying in your hand and you have to use it well, but it can be done without any extra equipment. If you're just walking around the street, capturing your ideas, there's no pressure on your production. An audience doesn't expect it to have an amazing quality. It doesn't expect a perfectly steady camera or perfect audio. An audience doesn't need that in that environment. You're giving yourself the best chance for your idea to be the thing that people connect to. Whereas if you're trying to, Make a home office that looks like a studio. You'll probably fail, and you're giving the audience something that that's a barrier to overcome. The more you can give people permission to just enjoy you for being you, the easier
0: it is for them to like. One of the things that terrifies me is the thought of filming myself in public. Um, and walking down the street with a camera up. I'm, I think I'm nervous because I, I, there's, a, there's social media accounts that I follow called influencers in the wild where they <laughs> film people filming themselves in the public. And I'm so nervous that I'm going to show up on that account one day. How do you get past that fear of walking down the street, holding a camera up and talking to a camera? Because that is not a normal skill that people possess.
1: Absolutely not. That is a terrifying thing to do. Uh, it, is, <laughs> it is awful. It is awful. Standing in front of a crowd who might be looking at you while you're holding up a camera and speaking to it is genuinely a discomfort, a discomfort that I've never completely gotten over. But I also know that if you're not being a loud clown and you're not interrupting people and you're not making a song and dance or being a distraction, no one cares. Absolutely nobody cares if you're doing that. If you're over the, If you're over the age of 35 it feels far more uncomfortable to you than it does anyone who's a teenager now. Teenagers now would sooner record Mm. a video in public than make a phone call or accept a phone call. (laughs) There's a, there's a real shift in how people are willing to interact with cameras. And if you're from a generation, so I'm 47 and I'm absolutely not from a generation that was comfortable ever being on camera growing up. I didn't make a video and get on camera myself until the pandemic. And it was confronting how shit I was, (laughs) which is actually one of the reasons why I've, I've enjoyed coaching because I've had to learn it myself and doing it with people who I love, including you, has been a joy rather than learning from a guru or feeling like I had to be perfect. I was on the same journey as everybody else. And I think that's accessible and has why, is why I've developed that style of trying to just be really mm-hmm. casual and light with it and not, not too lenient on technology. But yeah, getting over the comfort exactly of recording in public is really useful. And it happens fast. If you just go out into the street and record yourself once a day for two weeks, that fear will be largely gone, like anything. You just have to expose yourself to Mm. it, realize that it's actually not as bad as you think, take the catastrophization
0: out, and
1: suddenly you've got a new Mm. skill.
0: Yeah, people think about you less than you think. Like this is, this is the thing. I think when you're in public, you go, everyone's thinking about me, everyone's talking about me. And I, I go, what do I do when I see someone filming in public? I go, I wonder what they're doing. I look at them for a moment and then I go straight back to my internal thoughts and I carry on about my day, which I'm, I think is a really there's important one. Great, there's a
1: great challenge that I saw, Jeff Schwisso issue, which is called the Banana Hat Challenge. And the idea is you go to a supermarket, put a bunch of bananas on your head and take a selfie. And I thought, I'll take that to the next level. I'm going to go make a video. So I walked down to the fresh produce section at the big supermarket in Wellington, put a bunch of bananas on my head and recorded a video while there were about 15 people also walking around the fruit and veg department. No one gave a shit. The only person who looked at the camera at all was a guy stacking shelves in the background who turned around and gave me a wave. While I'm holding my camera up with a bunch of bananas on my head, Doing what most people would find a really awkward thing to do. To be my worst nightmare. Absolutely worst nightmare. And you know what? Absolutely nobody cares. They just don't care. People are not paying attention to you the way that you feel they are. And the sooner you can get over that fear. And I don't mean you have to go out and make a clan yourself or stand up on stage or be a public influencer. I just mean mm. that if you get comfortable enough to capture moments in the environment where they're happening, you stand a much yeah. better chance of being able to create content that's easy to make, easy to like.
0: Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Okay, Cam, give us, give us some rapid fire, just one or two kind of quick points for if you're going to use your phone as a camera um, to capture those moments as they're happening What are some things that are going to just lift the standard just a little bit for people? We're not talking blow people out of the water, just like one or two things that go, okay, this is going to make it lift.
1: Hold the camera at the same height as your eyes. So rather than holding the camera lower, which is what people do if they're not confident or not feeling safe, is they'll hold the camera Mm. down and the camera will be pointing up at their faces. You make much better content if the camera is at the same height as your eyes so that the audience feels like they're in an even conversation with you. That's the first one. Mm. Second one is face the brightest light source if you can. Backlit shots are hard to see and your face will be in shadow. So if you Mm. can, ideally have the brightest light behind the camera. And then if you're in a place where there's a lot going on, show that in the scene. Mm. often when we're filming content, especially if we are in public, we want to kind of hide away and we'll back up against the wall or something. And then all the things that would have made the scene interesting, the people or the activity or the fun, the audience can't see it. Uh, yeah. If you can't see it, you're going to be curious about it, especially if you can hear it. And so if you are framing yourself, making a video, try to show the stuff that's happening around you. That's what people really enjoy. The things you are saying actually count for much less about what's interesting about a video than you think. If you can show mm. the mood, the environment, the excitement,
0: the energy, that does a whole heap of the work for you. So, someone showed me a tip when if you're looking for the light sources, just hold your phone up video your hand and then just spin 360 degrees and you'll see as soon as your hand gets lit up you know exactly where the light source is coming from you go great that's where I need to stand and it I I didn't realize how easy it was to see just by looking through the camera and looking at your hands really simple practical tip yeah
1: and I think the other thing too the other thing too that people do wrong is think about those things instead of making a video (laughs) (laughs) As soon as you start worrying, is my lighting okay, is my framing okay, where's my camera height, Mm. suddenly your brain is in exactly the wrong place to make good content. The best thing you can do to make great content is just make it. Make it. Start recording videos. Find out what works. I do think it's really useful to give yourself a time limit. When you're starting out, say 30 seconds. 30 seconds is all I'm allowed. Because if you yeah. ask yourself, when was the last time I watched a video longer than 30 seconds when I was scrolling? The answer is only if you love that person and their content is brilliant. You will not sit yeah. through a video longer than 30 seconds of someone who isn't amazing. And when you're starting out and you're not amazing, one of the best things you can do is just time box yourself.
0: Yeah, that's really helpful advice. I think one of the things that people who are listening to this podcast will be sitting there thinking to themselves are going, well, I'm not a social media influencer. I am, you know, I'm not producing heaps of content for LinkedIn or Instagram or social media channels. And so this video thing's not really relevant for me, but it couldn't be further from the truth. And and one of the things I've been thinking a lot about lately is is obviously the rise of AI and how AI is kind of taking over our world. And in a whole lot of ways, it's a language model, which is it's elevating people's ability to produce written content like never before. We're We're about in the next 12 months going to see... I mean, we already are, see so much saturation of written content. Example being, someone said the other day, I need to write a, um, a letter to our team about a particular thing. And they were like, I just don't have the time to do that. And like, we'll just get ChatGPT to do it. And so ChatGPT wrote this letter to the team about an update and it was way better than the leader was ever going to write themselves. Now, we're going to see that more and more and more. And the reality is I think it's really great. I love ChatGPT. I think the the open AI platform is going to be a a game changer for for written um, content. But one thing it will never be able to do is reproduce the way that you connect and what we've been talking about today, the way that you show up on camera and the way that you engage. And so as a leader, I think in the next, you know, right now, from now, but going forward, there's going to be a real power in picking up your phone, recording a video and saying, hey team, I wanted to let you know about this and sending a video out to people on your team to build that credibility, trust and relationship through a screen on video rather than just through another email. Do you reckon that's a fair and accurate prediction? Absolutely. I think the establishing, establishing trust with people
1: you want to connect with is super important and doing that just by showing your face is a really mm. powerful way. And often we think video, the job of video might be to communicate an idea. Often actually the job of the video is just to make sure people feel safe with us, that they trust us, that they think we're worth listening to. And if you've got a direct relationship with them already, if they're a team member or someone who you already know, just staying in contact with them so you feel familiar, that you feel like you're a trusted source of information or that you're a presence that they can rely on. And when you're making content, it's really easy to think the only thing someone might be getting out of it is the brilliance you're trying to share, when in fact... Yeah. You're just building a relationship. There's a, there was a Harvard Business Review study that said the line that I, that jumped out at me was: before people decide if they like your message, they decide if they like you. Yeah. And if you're trying to share a message, you better be likable. <laughs> and so, <laughs> yeah. in a, in a world where a lot of communication is asynchronous and video based, making quick content with your phone is a really easy way to establish the connections that are meaningful with people so that they do like and trust you. And then when you do need to share a message that's important, you've built the relationship to a point where they trust you.
0: Yes, yes. So much yes to all of that. Um, I I think there is this saying that when you're in a meeting, they're like, could this meeting have been an email? Um, I think there's a great, you know, question to ask is could that email have been a video? Um, and I think that's a really kind of profound way of looking at it. Okay, Cam, here's the thing. If you had a soapbox to stand on for 30 seconds to talk to people and you're just (laughs) now directly talking to people in this room who are going, you know what is video for me? Should I be showing up more on camera? Do I want to be less shit on camera in 30 seconds? What's your soapbox? What would you say to them?
1: Creating short content is a really powerful way for people to get to know and like you. And it doesn't mean all of your energy or messages have to come through video. It just means it's a really useful way to add to the way people can trust you. Be likable, be funny, be light. Invite people into how you're feeling, not just what you're saying. Give people the chance to connect with you in an empathetic way, to let them see your flaws and fun and the things that light you up beyond just your professional reputation. Invite people into your world by sharing short snippets that help you build a relationship that means people will like you and follow you
0: bloody brilliant. Honestly, I I don't want this conversation to end because I feel like, um, there's a lot that we could continue to go into. We just really scratched the surface on a lot of things. Um, let me give you some of my standouts from this conversation. One that I absolutely love is like, stop being so nervous about the things that people just don't care about. Like all those things that that weigh us are the things that often are just not important to other people. Um, don't just create a moment to capture, invite people into your moments, um, which I think is really profound one. Um, Get out of the places that are, are stop that that don't make you feel comfortable to record video. If you're not comfortable at home, then get out, do something else. Um, and then the other thing is is you just you get better by doing more. I think the the way that you improve on this, like other things, is you just need to keep showing up. You need to keep doing it and doing more of it. And I think that's going to be a really profound thing. But there's obviously a lot of people who um, sit there and go, I just. I need to get the accountability to do more. I need the, the support. And, and that was really, really important for me, that sense of accountability and support in equal measure, not just someone who goes, you need to do this more, but someone says, hey, how do I support you to do more? Other people go, you know what? I've got all, all the accountability I need. I just need that kind of support network. And that for me um, was a Be Less Shit on Camera course, which you ran. Um, and I absolutely loved. It got me into the practice of showing up on camera. Um, can you tell people about what that's all about, how they can connect with you? You've now the reason why the group is useful (laughs) because
1: it's really hard to practice these skills on your own. So whenever you're trying to learn anything new or be accountable to something that you're learning, like a gym or any sort of club that holds you to a rhythm of production and helps you get out of the weirdness, That's exactly what the course is about and it's less about technical brilliance and more about just creating an environment where you feel safe with people on the same journey as you to get over those hurdles that we all face. I love running the course. It's super fun and you can check it out at camfig.com and would love to see you there because video is a really powerful tool and I truly believe that most people would benefit from having the skill of being able to produce
0: short, sharp videos. Oh, everyone, everyone can benefit from that skill set. I have personally. Um, I I would suggest video has been as, as a small business owner, it's been one of the the key drivers of my positioning online. Has been my video content. I would suggest as a leader of a team, it's one of the untapped resources um, for building trust and connection with remote and dispersed teams rather than sending out your monthly newsletter sending out a monthly check-in from you at home or being out taking your dog for a walk having a conversation with your team is going to build connection with a dispersed team um, way faster than just um, written email will and there's a whole lot of skills that it's going to just develop you in not just the camera skills it's going to develop a whole lot of great mindsets for leadership as well so Ken Fink, thank you for joining me on the podcast it's been an absolute delight joy shane hatton welcome uh, welcome <laughs> thank you for having me that's it for another week of phone calls with clever people thank you so much for taking the time to invest in you by checking out the podcast make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the episodes as they're released and of course i'd love to hear how this has added value for you in the reviews have a fantastic week